Hello and welcome to episode 369 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. I'm Ben Olson, that's Nathan Fox. Together we're the co-founders of LSATdemon.com and the LSAT Demon Daily podcast. If you want to get on an upcoming show, email help at thinkinglsat.com. We record every Tuesday and this is going to come out on Monday, September 26, 2022. Uh, the next registration deadline is Thursday, September 29th. That's for the November 2022 LSAT. You can find all these dates at lsat.link forward slash dates. If you have not come to Nathan's free shit yet, you should. It's every other Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern. The next one is Thursday, October 6th, and the title is What It Takes to Score 170. You can sign up for that at lsat.link forward slash Nathan. Nathan, what do you want to say about that? Um, I mean, there's no secret to it, really. You know, it's that's a clickbaity title to be honest what it takes to score 170 because what am i going to say i'm going to say you need to understand one question at a time yep. and ultimately you need to understand almost all of the questions if you're going to get a 170 not all of them by the way almost all of them so what you need to do to get to 170 is you need to start with the easy ones which are conveniently located at the beginning of every section and you need to just get them right and you need to get all of them right and then if you run out of time on a couple at the end, that's OK. You can still score 170. But that's what it takes is to actually understand just one question and then another one after that. And that's that's all there is to it. So that's going to be the class. Yeah, the class is now done. So thank you. <laughs> yeah, um, it was a short class. <laughs> uh, we need teachers at the Demon. We have we wonderful do. teachers, but we need more wonderful teachers. So if you want to apply, email your score report and a video of you explaining a game or logical reasoning question to Nathan. And he's at Nathan at LSATdemon.com. Do you want to say anything about that? Um, we really only hire our own students these days. So if you're just some random podcast listener, LSAT teacher, probably don't bother. If you're an LSAT demon student, tell me that you're an LSAT demon student. And hopefully I know you from coming to class because that's the people that I really like to hire. Uh, and Lily is here smiling. Hi, Lily. <laughs> um, uh, you know, the, the, our best teachers have come from within. So, uh, send me a, uh, screenshot of your score report. We need 170 plus send me a video of you teaching an LR question or a logic game. And, uh, that's Nathan at lsatdemon.com. And we'll, uh, take steps in the direction of adding you to the teaching core. I should say, Women and people of color strongly encouraged to apply. Today on the show, we uh, covered a mailbag of questions, but I would say the two highlights in my mind were a review of Dean Z's recent video. Dean Z is the dean of Michigan Law School, and she had some advice for applicants who were seeking scholarships. And we went through some of her advice and shared our advice in response and also someone sent in some advice to play the right notes. And to me, that just resonated. Yeah, that that is certainly a pearl. Play the right notes. That is one that I'll find myself saying in class, I think, going forward. Yeah. Uh, yeah. As far as the Dean Z thing, I thought it was a really interesting conversation. Uh, you know, we've invited Dean. We would love to have Dean Z come on the show. Dean Z, if you hear this at all, you know, please come you seem like a pretty straight shooter and we would love to hear you talk about these issues um, on the podcast. We're very flexible. 
you know, maybe we could help you pump up your own YouTube channel. Not that you need it, but uh, we we would love to have a conversation. I think it's you know interesting for the listeners here because what you're hearing is one one side of the negotiation. You're hearing the people inside the admissions office who are actually going to be making you offers or not making you offers. And uh, so, yeah, she's got useful things to say. And I think you should then contrast it with our advice from, you know, the other side of the negotiation. Essentially, we're on the we're on your side every single year. We're on your side as you uh, do these negotiations with these law schools. Let's jump in. All right. So this first email is about a video that Dean Z posted recently on financial aid. You want to read I it? haven't watched it yet, but I've I've read this uh, excerpt. I'm, I meant to get around to watching it, but we have the link um, and we can share that for the class. By the way, for the uh, podcast listeners at home, we're doing this class as a or this podcast episode as a, um, a live class. So we have uh, some live audience members that we might get to some questions or comments from uh, if they're brave. We'll see later. Um, yeah. So. Want me to read a little bit? Yeah, this yeah, is, go for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. So this is Anthony who shared this, and it says, "Hi Ben and Nathan, Dean Zierfoss published a video titled Financial Aid Overview." In this video, says Anthony, she takes aim at the quote organizations out there that say you should never pay anything for law school. Since LSAT Demon is one such organization, I thought you might be interested in addressing her opinions. For your convenience, I wrote a transcript of the video from 738 to 1329. I've omitted a few sections and edited out some likes and so's and ums and that sort of stuff. Anyway, these are the quotes. So here we go. This is this is Dean Z on her own uh, YouTube channel. Quote, I don't like calling it a negotiation because I think that implies that you are sort of equally situated and just trying to come to a consensus over something. You are in very different positions, you and the school, in terms of the amount of money, uh, the amount of power you have and the amount of information you have. So don't enter it. Don't enter it as if it's a negotiation. Enter it as you need help from this institution. You want to attend this institution. You're excited to be admitted. But the financial picture is not one that is easy for you to work with. Ben, any comments, thoughts so far? Um, I think that she's right that the two parties coming together are in very different positions. The school has a lot of experience <laughs> accepting people, knowing you know how much money they're going to give and, and so forth, or how much they want to give. But this idea that then you should approach it even more meekly. I mean, that's what it sounds like you're saying. It's like, come at it and and request help. Just well, seems like the opposite of the solution I would suggest, which is to try to empower yourself by informing yourself um, and asking for money at, based on what's worth it to you, right? Like how many other places have you applied to? Where have you gotten in? How much money are they offering you there? Like there is information you can gather and put in your favor it, and I would it do is <laughs> in fact a negotiation yeah, yeah well, I mean let's you start can't there sure well you can't, like it, that's just what that is a fact of what it's what's happening here is you're figuring out how much you're willing to pay to to go to a variety of different schools so it is a negotiation she's on the other side of the negotiation I mean her and all other admissions deans or admissions committees in the world are on the other side of the negotiation and 
I mean, it is awful convenient for them to say, oh, we don't want you. To, it's not a negotiation from your, you know, we don't want you to treat it like it's a negotiation. What? But it it, it, it is, though. OK, anyway, um, <laughs> a, a school. This is continuing her quotes. A school has a given amount of money in any given year that its administration has made available to them. They have to figure out how to best spend it to enroll a class that best meets their goals. You should not think of it as, quote, they don't like me if they're not giving you financial aid. It shouldn't be, quote, they are just not hearing me when I say I don't want to spend. They also have constraints about what they can do. So go into it recognizing that. Don't get your feelings hurt if you're not getting the money you think you should be getting. They have constraints, too. They're approaching it, frankly, Almost as a business, not as a kindness, which is how you're probably going to be experiencing it. Wait, wait. <laughs> this almost sounds like the opposite of what she was just saying. It does sound exactly opposite of she just said, enter it, enter it as you need help from this institution. So she just told you that you should be like kind of throwing yourself on their mercy. But now... <laughs> But but now I guess she is telling you <clears throat> that they, the schools, are approaching it. She says almost as a business, <laughs> which, again, it is literally a business. I mean, it's a nonprofit business, but it's a it's a business. And so so I guess that's what she's saying, right? Their approach. It's not them being generous. I mean, you want them to be generous with you. You're hoping that they're going to be merciful and generous to you. But you need to understand that it's a business for them. That's what she's saying, right? Yeah, that's what she's saying. She's saying, basically, just accept what we tell you. Sure sounds like that. She continues, quote, I wouldn't do this negotiation for every school you're admitted to. The financial aid process is even more grueling than the admissions process. I would like this to be schools you're truly interested in. I mean, I totally agree with that. Like, there's no point negotiating with schools that you're not like actually credibly going to go to. Right. We're not we don't need to be assholes like negotiating with 20 schools to try to get offers that you can then leverage. I mean, that's that'd be a crazy waste of time for one thing. I, I disagree with this idea that the financial aid process is even more grueling than the admissions process. Or. Or though, Ben, I mean, really, maybe she's kind of like telling a, a big truth there, which is that it's actually kind of easy to get in. And that it's kind of hard, actually, to get the money. Well, I guess what I'm thinking of is if I have to put together my application and make sure everything is written well and I got my LSAT score and my GPA, all that stuff takes a long time to get into your application just how you want it. When it comes to asking for money, that's like an email. That's <laughs> well, a conversation. Uh, well, okay. And so if you from have that perspective, great... you actually don't even need to ask. Right? I mean, go ahead. But that's that's what you're gonna say, right? That like just they offer you money when you apply based on your numbers. They, they offer you money when you apply based on your numbers. And if you wanna ask for more money, it it's it's one or two conversations. I to me it doesn't seem like a grueling process, especially if you it's have your numbers in place. <laughs> it's well, grueling yeah, for I, them because they have to get they have to decide. Okay, do we uh, do we want to give up more money for this applicant? Right. I've I've got like dozens of emails from people who said, oh, I emailed them and asked for more money, and then I got like thirty five thousand dollars more per year. 
you know, <laughs> it's like, not, that's not like, grueling for the grueling. applicant. Yeah, no, that's a hundred grand that you got from an email. And I've been hearing those stories for years, like 15 years that I've been doing this. So yeah, I, I don't know what she really means there by that's grueling. Um, but, but I, I do think that it's kind of true, right? It's a hell of a lot easier to get into Michigan than it is to get a scholarship to Michigan. Well, that's true because you could get in and be at the bottom of your class. There's a wider range of applicants who just get in for sure. Right. Okay. So, um, the quote here continues, which thank you, Anthony, for uh, quoting all this for us. She says, bottom line, though, I think you need to make peace with the idea that you're going to be paying something, taking on some debt or paying something for law school. And that's usually a pretty worthwhile endeavor. There are organizations out there that say, quote, you should never pay anything for law school. That's not true, because even the schools that are giving full rides, they're not giving them to everyone. They're giving them to a very small segment. Okay, so. Mm. Right there, I want to take a look at University of Michigan's ABA 509 report. Yep, let's see what they're... Okay, so How I went to lsatdemon.com yeah. forward slash scholarships. I clicked on the little PDF link that's right next to um, University of Michigan. They have 1,013 students in their school. Of those, 1,001 are getting some sort of a grant. So 99% of the school is not paying full price. Uh, of those, 63% are getting less <laughs> Wait, than half tuition. Hold, hold up. That, yes. that's, a, that's a shocking number. That means only 1%, 12 people. It's as called you just price said. discrimination. That's what economists call this price discrimination. Price discrimination is where you, cap, you capture the maximum amount of revenue that you can get yep. under the yep. um, supply curve or demand curve. I don't remember my economics that well, but point is... They do no, this on purpose. Yep. You mm -hmm. charge everybody different prices so that you capture more of the value in the market. And that's just quite clearly what they do. They do it in the form of scholarships. You know, they have a fictional tuition of at Michigan, by the way. Thirty three thousand dollars. That's got to be per semester. Yes. So the 509 is wrong. Yep. Why are the 509s wrong? I want to know why the 509s are wrong, Ben. Uh, this, I, I don't, it doesn't seem right to me a anyway. Um, well, I mean, we just talked about Columbia like last episode, right? They got kicked out because their data was wrong and no one knew for years. So no one's checking on these things. It says per annual, and but it's got thirty three thousand, which there's no way that's their annual tuition. Their annual tuition is sixty six thousand. I mean, unless the rest of this grants and scholarships matrix is wrong, but I don't think that can be. Anyway, sixty three percent of the school, Ben, is getting somewhere uh, less than half tuition scholarships. So they're giving these, you know, we call them scammerships around here, where they give you some like, um, you know, pat on the head, uh, fifteen thousand dollars a year while charging you $60,000 a year. And it's just, you know, not much of a deal. Yeah, you're, you're paying more than half. And unfortunately, tuition is already, it's more than double the actual value. Right. So Which just, you're still getting scammed. They could yep. just lower their tuition, right? And not have this fiction where they're giving everybody a discount. But um, 33% though of the school, so 1,013 people in the school, again, and 33% of those, that's 334 students, are getting somewhere between half and full tuition. Yep. 
Uh, and then another 2% of the class is actually getting more than full tuition. So there's there's a small handful of people who are getting full tuition and more than full tuition. It's only 30 people last year at University of Michigan. So Michigan isn't one of the schools that gives tons and tons of full rides. There are, so she's, though, <laughs> many schools that do. Yeah. So she's technically accurate in saying that <laughs> a very small percentage, at least of Michigan, don't get a full ride. But still, it's 25 people and <laughs> this 334 people who are getting half to full is not something to ignore. Right. And that's not even being talked about at all right here. Right. Well, and when we look at, you know, there's there's lots of other schools like WashU in St. Louis, for example, that's giving 24 percent of the class is getting full tuition or more than full tuition. And that's yeah. at the 15th ranked law school in the country. I mean, that's a school yeah. that's right there on the edge of the top 14. That's a credible competitor school for Dean Z's University of Michigan. And, you know, I mean, you're, you're dropping down three spots in the rankings or whatever it is. It's not much. Um, mm -hmm. OK, five spots, six spots in the rankings. You're dropping down. And, you know, now you're at a school that gives a quarter of the class full tuition um, or more. And 53 <laughs> percent of the class gets somewhere between half and full. So that's 75% yeah. of the class getting more than half tuition. So anyway, just to give a little fact check for if Dean Z is speaking, you know, for like law schools broadly, which she seem, seems to be doing here. Yep. Um, yep. They're, they're, it's more than a small, small fraction of these classes that are getting full rides. So the quote continues. So if you say, quote, that's the only terms on which I'm willing to go to law school, you're setting yourself up for disappointment. If you have particular career goals in mind, it's often not going to make sense for you to go to the cheapest possible option, the one where you're getting a full ride, if they can't get you to what your goals are. So you've got to take that into account, too. You can't just say, like an automaton, I'm going to go to the school where my debt will be least. You've got to weigh that against what it is you want in a law school and be willing to pay something. <laughs> which I was like totally agreeing with her until she said those last like five or six words. You know, it's like she she if she would have just stopped at, hey, you have to weigh it against what you want in a law school. I, I would say, yeah, you're absolutely right. I agree with you a thousand percent. You know, you have to yeah. decide. I still think that it is in most consumers best interest to take the best full ride they can get. And Ben, you agree? I agree. And that's largely because the difference in ranking indicates that there's really no difference between the schools that people are usually deciding between, yet the price is different. So if you're going to get a Toyota or a Honda, and they're the same, pretty much the same kind of car, but one is free and the other is $10,000, well, go with the free one. Because you are still going to have expenses. Even when people get a full ride or even a full ride plus a stipend, there's law school fees, which we haven't talked about yet. And just living your life and giving up a job and the lost opportunity yeah. of those three years, all sorts and of things. By the way, when we're comparing Michigan to UCLA to Wash U in St. Louis, I think we are comparing Hondas and Toyotas. You know, we're not like ain't no Bentleys in that group of schools. It's mm -hmm. it's it, and but every school pretends that it is that Bentley, right? All mm -hmm. of them do this. They all pretend like, oh well, I mean, you know, you want to come to my school, obviously, because this is the best. We're the best there. You know, we're a prestigious national law school. And it's like, well, yeah, OK, but there's many schools that are significantly better than you are. 
you're probably not a Bentley. It's it's like, yeah, you're 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 weighing like they're much more fungible, I guess, than what they pretend to be is what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. OK. Yep. Um, anyway, I do think you have to do some weighing and balancing. But that last little bit where she's just like, oh, and you have to be willing to pay something. Yeah. OK, except that you factually don't, because there's so many schools out there that give so many scholarships. Go to lsatdemon.com forward slash scholarships. And play with the numbers. It is true that some people have to be willing to pay something, but you don't have to be that person. <laughs> right. And so that's why savvy consumers can just be like, well, yeah, not me, though. I I'm not going to be one of the ones that pays. Under the current system. Why? It doesn't make sense. Right. And by the way, I don't. I don't like this system. I wish that the schools didn't do this. I, I'm actually kind of encouraged to see that Michigan is or is only offering a pretty small fraction of of actual full rides. You know, I don't sure, think that there should be that many full rides out there. That is the problem. I agree. But they're still leveraging this. Um, what what were you saying earlier? That they're taking that extra surplus, right? The consumer it's called price surplus. discrimination. They're, yeah, yeah, no, price I mean, discrimination. Study in, I studied it in as econ. an undergrad. I studied it again in business school. It's called price discrimination. They, it, you're economists. I guarantee that the economists at the University of Michigan teach about price discrimination. Well, and it could be a very simple thing where they simply just don't give a lot of full rides, but they're giving up to ninety eight percent of full. Yeah, well, so at least they can. You know, which we have that data, right? I mean, we, we can look again at their um, 509. We can look at the percentiles for the grant amounts. Yeah. So they're set. But yeah, <laughs> their 75th percentile grant. Wait, I want to make sure I've got these facts right. Oh, wait, OK, good. I was looking at the wrong school there for a sec. <laughs> this is wild, though. The 75th percentile grant at Wash U is $60,900. That's Wash U in St. Louis. By wow. the way, they they. 686 students are getting grants and the 75th percentile is 60,900. <laughs> That's a lot of money. Um, okay. So anyway, back to Michigan, this is, I wanted to look at their percentile. So their 75th percentile um, of 1000 students who are getting grants, their 75th percentile is $37,000. Yeah. So, you know, that's, it's more than half. But it's not close to full. Um, OK, we don't know, though, how high the ones go above that. That's just the 75th. Percentile, right. That's the right? 75th percentile. We have no idea. I mean, the 76th percentile could be. Well, I guess it can't be full tuition, not according to their their matrix that they have here. But it could be really close. Half to full the, tuition. Yeah, it could be. I mean, the it bottom line is short. Yeah. When 99 percent of your class is getting some sort of grant, 99 percent, then you're fully engaged in this system, even if you can claim, hey, we don't give out full tuition very much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. OK. The, the quotes continue. When I went to law school 743,000 years ago, Dean Z jokes, tuition was about $24,000 a year. I didn't have any financial aid. Big firm salaries at the time were $60,000, which is much less than it is today. I took on debt and still managed to pay it off with only working at a firm for three years. So when people say I can't spend $25,000 a year because I want a full ride and not a three quarter ride, I think, you know what? You can and it's fine. It's a completely worthwhile investment. So think about rationally what you're willing to spend. What makes sense to you? I'm not saying get into debt at a half a million dollar level, 
That is also not a good idea, she says. But don't go into it with a very rigid idea of what you are and aren't willing to spend. Have an idea, be a little flexible, have conversations, and try and come up with as much information possible. Okay. Uh, Okay. Anthony uh, then says, I attempted to fact check the monetary values she uses to help justify her position. However, the links on the University of Michigan tuition and fees page for the years between 1972 and 1996 are broken. I estimated the tuition with linear interpolation, but I do not trust the reliability of my figures. According to Big Law Investor, a first year Big Law salary in 1987 was $68,000, equal to about $172,000 in January of 2022. So that fact check there from Anthony says that, you know, she's trying to say like, well, my Big Law firm salary was so much less than. Yeah, but adjusted for inflation, it's they made the same money then that they make now. Um, And he tried to fact check her tuition, but he couldn't find it. All right. Yeah. Anthony, thank you very much for the thoughtful um, email. I have a couple links here. Um, What do you think, Ben? I mean, (laughs) I I feel like a lot of everything that she is saying here, almost everything is factually true. I, I, There are some things that are up for debate, right? What does she mean by a very small segment of people who get full tuition? But I still ultimately disagree with her conclusion. I think that savvy consumers, as you've said, can go for free and expect it and not really suffer any consequences because there's a fiction out there that there's a big difference between law schools and there's really not. So just go to one that's willing to pay you for free. And sometimes that's just going down a couple rankings. So... I I disagree with the whole premise that you should be willing to pay for something. Yeah, I mean, I think we're talking, it it depends on, on so if you think about it from the student perspective, right, every student can get a full ride if they're willing to just go to the best school that gives them a full ride. I mean, that's just a fact. Go to lsatdemon.com forward slash scholarships, put in your LSAT, put in your undergraduate GPA, find the schools that are willing to give you full rides, apply to those schools, get full ride offers. Um. It's a fact. She's talking to like the bulk of her typical class every year, right? And the bulk of her typical class, or at least the her class last year, 99% of them got some sort of a scholarship. Uh, those scholarships ranged wildly. But yeah, most people didn't get a full ride. So most of the people that are going to actually attend University of Michigan aren't going to be there on a full ride. But we could have many of our students at Michigan on full rides if Michigan was the best school that would give them a full ride, because if yeah. they could get a better full ride somewhere else, they'd go somewhere else. And if they can't get a full ride to Michigan, then they're just going to go, okay, I'll go to UCLA. I'll go to Wash U. I'll go to whatever. I do have a question about this. She says there are organizations out there that say you should never pay anything for law school. Who else is out there saying this as much as we are? I don't know. I just don't, I don't hear that many people saying that. I, feel I mean, like. maybe there's other people out there. It seems like a very common sense position to me. Yeah. So I would, I'd be surprised if more people don't start saying that. I mean, and again, we're just describing the game, right? We're, we're, we didn't make the rules of this game. We're just saying, here's how we would play this game if we were playing the game today. And, you know, yeah. on behalf of our, however many thousands of, you know, listeners and students, Um, over the years, we are kind of helping people play the game. And I think the best strategy looking at the way the scholarships are actually given out, the best strategy is to apply to 15 schools and 
like get take the best full ride you can yep yeah cool well thanks again anthony this next email is from krista uh i guess i'll read it hi ben and nathan my daughter recently started kindergarten okay her class is working on identifying quote zones of regulation to get their little baby brains their little <laughs> sorry I didn't you added that. baby uh, <laughs> well, i think i'm just like wait where is this going kindergarten okay uh, to get their little brains focused on learning. Okay. Although this is advice for five-year-olds, I have been using it before studying for the LSAT. I think it could be a pearl for your listeners. Before starting a study session, I place myself in one or more of the zones below. Then I try my best to move 100% to the green zone. All right, here are the zones. So blue is sick. Sad, tired, bored, and moving slowly. Anyone feeling that now? Um, <laughs> the, hopefully not. Uh, the next one is green. That's happy, calm, focused, ready to learn. Yellow is frustrated, worried, silly, wiggly, excited. Red is mad, mean, disgusted, or out of control. Okay, Krista continues. To get in the green zone, my daughter and I do a little breathing and meditation. Another thing that works for us is thinking of a happy vacation memory or a goofy thing our cat did. Sometimes I feel like I'm in all the zones. One day after partying hard at the trampoline park with her buddies, my daughter asked if it was if it is possible to be stuck in the blue zone forever. <laughs> with, wow. With a little effort, we're always able to get back to green. The simple color-coded way of taking a quick inventory of your mental state seems super helpful. Maybe younger listeners have already learned to do this. All I have to say is that public education is not this good, was not this good in the 90s. Okay. Um, you going to start talking about zones in class? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I'm going to bring this into my classes, no. So I, I don't think that this is a pearl. I mean... I like it as far as um, a way to get yourself um, talking about or thinking about your um, emotions. I guess that can be hard sometimes. And mindfulness is always good. Yeah. I mean, there are certain mindsets, right? And those mindsets. Oh, sorry, let me step back. There are certain mindsets that can help you a lot. They can help you with taking the test. They can help you with studying they can just help you with the life in general. You go into a situation and you have one mindset, but if you can change to a different mindset, that situation is going to go a lot more smoothly. So I like this idea of being aware of your mental state and um, addressing it. I think that certain thoughts can set you up for success. Like, how do you talk to yourself? Do you, you know, say to yourself, oh, I can't do this test or I'm, I'm not in the right mental space or whatever. Do you talk negative? I don't think actually people who talk negatively say that they say things like I suck or I can never get focused or I'm a procrastinator. You want to kind of cut those thoughts out. And if this helps Krista or anyone else move towards more positive thinking that then can change your mindset, well, meh, it could be worth quite a bit. It's hard to see myself talking about these colors, but I do think there's value in changing your mindsets or having things that you say to yourself and, and editing, correcting, like catching yourself saying something that's going to put you in the wrong mindset and say, no, no, no. Okay. Like respecting the test too much, right? Don't respect the test so much. Stop giving it so much power. That's 
thinking that way is going to lead to the right yeah. mindset. I mean, if you're feeling in these ways, you know, the blue, yellow or red ways, I mean, blue said sick, sad, tired, bored, moving slowly. That's probably not the best time to do your LSAT prep, right? We need to try to we need to try to find ourselves in that green zone when we're doing our LSAT prep, if we want to make the most progress. So I yeah. can I can, you know, that just seems like a useful thing to think about. Hey, if I'm feeling blue, maybe that's not the best time for me to be grinding it out on the LSAT. <clears throat> Yellow is frustrated, worried, silly, wiggly or excited. Um, I don't think that we probably have much. Our cohort probably doesn't have silly, wiggly uh, problems, but frustrated, worried. I mean, that's also yeah. is this a counterproductive mindset, right? If you're if you're worrying about like, oh, my God, this is the end of, you know, be all end all of my law school application and my legal career and like all those thoughts are interfering with you actually reading what's on the page and finding those correct answers. So that's probably not the best time to study either. Red says mad, mean, disgusted, out of control. Mad, I guess, could help you a little bit maybe with the LSAT logical reasoning. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think having a confrontational mindset as you read those arguments helps you to understand them. But yeah, I don't know if you're pissed off because your roommate, you know, whatever. Also, maybe not the best space to be in while you try to do something that could be pretty difficult if you're not going to focus on it. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it's either going to be a turd or a tie. I just don't want people to take away the wrong message, and that is somehow feel the need to wait to study because, oh, they're just not in the right mood. Some moods you just have to get by doing, right? You just, okay, I'm frustrated. Let me open up drilling. And that itself actually changes your mood because it's now true. You're yeah. On doing else. one question. I, I agree. Maybe it's not as bad as you think it is. And maybe it'll take your mind off all this other bullshit that you're you know, distracted by to do well on the drilling. Like if you're really going to log on on the drilling and get them right, um, mm -hmm. the demon's going to adjust to your level pretty quickly. So you better bring some game, right? Or else you're going to find yourself missing questions. Yeah. So maybe that can kind of get you refocused back onto something more productive. All right. Anyway, I'm giving it a tie. Scoreboard says 20 pearls, 66 turds, 26 ties. If you have a pearl versus turd candidate, you can always email help at thinkinglsat.com or find us on social at thinkinglsat. Okay. We have an email here forwarded from, this is a law school admission council email forwarded to us from Sarah. Maybe you read the, read Sarah and then I'll read the LSAC email. Yeah. Good luck reading that. It looks really blurry. <laughs> Hi, Ben and Nathan. I took the September 22 uh, LSAT for 2022. Today I received a letter from LSAC that stated I quote, violated a regulation during the test. After the 10-minute break, my proctor informed me that I was using an inactive version of Windows and that for future tests, I should activate Windows. It's a $120 to $200 fee. I said, okay, no problem, and went on to finish my test with no issues. I did find it a little odd considering this is my third attempt on the same computer, but I went on living my life without thinking much of it. Today, I received an official LSAC letter about this situation, which I have attached to this email. The strength... The strange thing is, I cannot find anything on either LSAC's website or ProctorU regarding the need to have, quote, an active Windows. Um, 
It seems as though I have violated an imaginary regulation. All I can find is the requirement of, quote, Windows 10 OS, which is exactly what I used. Do you think it's worth calling LSAC and saying I can't find any information regarding active slash inactive windows? Or since the letter says they aren't pursuing this issue further, I should let it go? Should, should I let it go? Um, had I known I needed to activate it, I would have done it in a heartbeat. This is a cautionary tale to tell all the PC users out there. Oh, sorry, to tell all of them of that. Make sure Windows is activated before you test. Uh, if they're not going to pursue anything, I, I, my gut reaction is just, okay, thanks. Yeah, this email from LSAC, or this, this, yeah, I guess it was an email and she gave a screenshot from LSAC. I mean, it has in bold, it's pretty scary, right? I mean, the first sentence is just like, you violated a testing regulation during the September 10, 2022 administration of the law school admission test. Like, oh yeah. shit, I'm screwed. Word. You know, yeah. um, lower in bold, it says test taker was observed utilizing an inactive or unlicensed version of the Windows operating system. That's its own paragraph and it's in bold. Then there are some reminders about you have to use active or fully licensed versions of device operating systems. And then they give you some links and they talk about the LSAT candidate agreement and tell you that you need to refresh yourself on all of the things that you committed to before you signed up, uh, when you signed up to take the test. And then, yeah, last sentence, last paragraph, <laughs> LSAC has reviewed this information submitted by ProctorU and decided not to take further action regarding this violation at this time. I guess that's not saying that they're never going to take action. Very lawyerly, right? They're just like, hey, you did this thing. We saw you do this thing. We're not going to do anything at this time. They're probably not going to do anything ever. I, I, you know, I, the only thing I would do if I were you, Sarah, is if you're going to take it again, probably spring for the Windows license so that you don't have the same issue next time. Yeah. I don't think there's anything else there, Ben. Want to do this next one? Yeah. Hey, guys, this is from Savvy Splitter. Just listen to your Splitter's Diminishing Returns episode regarding a 168-3.6 Splitter Ryan. I'm now a 174-3.4 Splitter myself. Praise the demon. Up from 155 and up again from 163. Okay, so high LSAT, 174, lower GPA, 3.4. While I did retake the LSAT recently to try to get another point or two based on my practice test, the Demon Scholarship Estimator doesn't change much for me past 174. In fact, there are a lot of schools that don't show up as full rides, even if some unicorn out there has a 180 4.0. Um, for example, Michigan, blah, blah, blah. Yep. Uh, we just saw that. That makes sense. Attached is my research on my own scenario, pulled from your estimator and... LST, which is, I'm assuming, Law School Transparency, which puzzlingly seems to be three years behind it in its net tuition numbers now that it's a part of LSAC. Anyways, as well as a second sheet for that unicorn. Okay, so anyways, he's compiled some research and maybe LST is behind on their numbers. My Excel, he says, my Excel skills aren't up to date, so I did this all manually, but it could be, could probably be replicated as a template with a couple of macros by someone on your staff if it seems like a useful tool for others. So what's, what, I'm missing something. <laughs> I, I was hoping you were going to be able to explain this to me. 
So here's the link. Yeah, and all the class, you can take a look at this too if you want. You can help us try to figure out what the hell this is about. Just a reminder, if you uh, didn't hear at the top of the podcast, we've got a live class. Uh, LSAT Demon students are here watching us record. I don't know why record the podcast live um, and commenting in the chat and stuff. Oh, yeah. That's... You okay, figure out cool. what they did here? They Okay, so they took splitters um, starting with the 163, 3.44, and so it's 3.44 all the way across. And then we all the way across. Yeah. yeah. And then we see 163 to 180. And then um get oh, it's a list of full rides. I see. It's a list of full rides. Okay. So the best full ride you can possibly get with a 3.44, according to the estimator, and of course we know that this is just an estimate. It's not a predictor, really. It's it's a it's an estimator. Um there's gonna be fluctuation around uh this but anyway the best estimated full ride is ucla uh with yep. a 179 or a 180 you're still not getting a full ride from anywhere in the top 14 with a 3.44 according to our estimator yep so i don't know what do you think ben is this useful would this be useful to try to surface this data somehow for i mean i can see how we could run these reports i guess i don't see the difference between doing this and just clicking up on the um, <laughs> yeah probably everybody just estimator. needs to use the estimator to run this for themselves because am i missing something i mean i would just go up until you see a full ride and you say okay well that's that's the score i need to get if i you could start at 180 and go down and exactly say, what's the i think yeah. that's what you could do is if you really wanted to do this for yourself you could put in your undergraduate gpa and a 180 and then just see what the best full ride estimated is and then, yeah, go down from there and see what kinds of full rides you're still getting at any lower LSAT. LSAT, yeah. yeah. Anyway, I think the question is, it's not necessarily about the data tool or whatever, but the, the question is, is like, hey, what's up? Why can't, you know, why are there not full rides? And she mm -hmm. does reference Dean Z's latest podcast. So, I mean... I think it's true, right? It's like, well, look, with a 3.4, you're going to be bringing down the medians at all of the schools in the top 14. Yep. So your I mean, LSAT's you're also not enough to compensate. And these higher schools, they weigh, they still weigh LSAT more than GPA, except for, I think, Berkeley. But it's it's a closer tie, right? So how much can the LSAT do? Right. So, I mean, yeah, it, like, I guess... <laughs> Our listeners should be aware that if they have bad undergraduate grades, they're probably not getting a full ride to the University of Michigan. Yeah. I mean, that's a fact. Like you can look at the 509, you can figure that out for yourself, but there is a limit to the top school that's going to give you a full ride. Nonetheless, we both think that you should just take the best full ride that you can possibly get. Yeah. Like it ain't worth paying um, crazy amounts of money to go to slightly better schools. Okay, so thank you for sending that in, uh, Savvy Splitter. This next one is from Anonymous. It says, hi, Ben and Nathan. I'm a Demon Premium subscriber, and I love the service. Your methods are phenomenal, and I have drank the, the Demon Kool-Aid. I'm riding with a candidate for Pearls versus Turds. I was listening to a podcast the other day with Jamie Foxx. He was talking about how he was with Ray Charles one time playing piano for a movie. Jamie was rushing, attempting to play just as fast, but incorrectly, as the master keyboardist Ray Charles. Charles confronted him saying, why are you playing like that? Criticizing him, but giving him a piece of advice that immediately resounded with me. He said, to do things right, 
you need to be able to take the time to play the right notes. That's in all caps. I immediately began using this phrase, telling people in my study groups that this is how to think about the LSAT. And all of our scores jumped tremendously. We just needed to realize that we needed to take our time to play the right notes and avoid getting shitty test scores just for the sake of finishing. What do you think? Yeah, I I feel like this is what we've been trying to say, um, but this is just another analogy, right? It's a piano analogy. I like it. I think it's a really good way of communicating it, right? We, I mean, we communicate the same things hundreds of different ways, but that's a good way of thinking about it. Like, you know, finishing the song is worthless. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't yeah. play the damn melody. So think about it in terms of accuracy, right? If you do a time section and you do 20 questions and you get 19 of those correct, well, you played a song with one off note. <laughs> yeah. Okay. James has provided a link in the uh, chat here. Uh, we have a link from YouTube of the actual Jamie Foxx clip, apparently. Um, or maybe it's just Jamie Foxx being Ray Charles. Um, oh, quote, life is taking time to hit the right notes. Interesting. OK, yeah. I mean, that is kind of, that is a cool way of thinking about it, right? Like, oh, I finished the section and I missed six, you know, which is what like we we frequently have students who think they're doing pretty well who do that. I, I, they finish yeah. the section and miss six or seven. Yeah. And we're like, whoa, you I mean, I, you finished. The problem is you didn't actually do it. Like yeah. you didn't, you didn't play the right notes. You, you finished the song, but it's all janky. You like missed all the notes. I, yeah. Okay. I mean, you're, I'd rather you play the beginning of the song perfectly and then randomly guess on the ones you don't have time to get to. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's the only way to get to perfect ever is to be perfect. So finishing is like not perfect. Cool. You want to read this one from Gracie? Yeah, Gracie says, I found the LSAT pretty intuitive initially. On my untimed diagnostic, I scored a 165. However, after studying with a different resource, my practice scores declined. Well, maybe because you started timing. I, it's a little hard to read a lot into a 165 untimed. But in any case, I was losing accuracy and getting hung up on identifying question slash game types then I found you two and my practice test scores shot back up and continued to improve. So thank you. You're welcome. I graduated in 2021. I work full-time as a case coordinator at a law firm. Also, I work part-time as a Hooters girl. Ontario Law School apps prompt applicants to list the details of every job they've had since high school. I'm torn about including Hooters. I've done well there, learned a lot, and they're even flying me to Europe. At the same time, I wouldn't want an admissions team, admission team's potential bias to hurt my candidacy. This question is less relevant in America, but here I hear Canadian schools are more concerned with these soft elements. To make my question general, I'm asking, is it worth including controversial, and that's in air quotes, involvements on law school apps? Emoji with sunglasses. <laughs> with cool emoji. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so what do you think, Ben? What, what, I, I mean, I think the job, you have to disclose the job, right? They're going to ask you questions that are like, tell me all your employment history. Yeah. I'd hope people would, I don't know, not care, but, um, I, Oh, to be clear, 
I hope they don't care. I would love to think that we are progressive enough that we're like, oh, you work at Hooters. You are a server. You make money. Who gives a shit where you work? I would hope to God that the schools are not going to discriminate. That said, Ben, can you imagine a scenario where a school might discriminate? Well, it's not necessarily even the school, right? It's the individual reviewer and who knows what goes on in their heads. Um, Yeah, the problem with writing about it is it just brings more attention to it, right? So it is going to be disclosed, but uh, it kind of depends on what you have to say. I mean, maybe that's the very mechanism by which you could change their minds, right? Because you're talking about something and it's like, oh, okay, I had this idea in my head when I saw Hooters on your resume, but now what you're talking about seems... Like, I don't know what Gracie would talk about, but maybe there's some managerial experience she wants to talk about. That that moves away from the location and more to the skills or the things that are being learned or implemented. Yeah, I think that just the name Hooters, you know, when you it's like I think that many. Well, not again, I hope it's few, but I think some people are going to put you in a box when they hear Hooters girl. Or they hear Hooters and they see girl. Yeah, don't say Hooters Hooters girl. Yeah, don't say Hooters girl. (laughs) Um, Good point. Uh, Yeah, but like, you know, disclosing the job, I think you go ahead and disclose the job. And then I think you just find something else to write about on your personal statement. That's easier, safer. I think it's safer just to avoid, you know, some super old conservative person who reads and goes, oh, Hooters girl. Now we don't. Ironically, that's probably the person who goes to Hooters the most, but um, all right. Uh, you uh, want to read this next one, Ben? Yeah, this is from BV. Oh, okay. Wait, you just read that one. I'll read this one. Oh, yeah, yeah, go for it. Hi, Ben, Nathan and Demon team. Hope all is well. I bring good news from the land of Proctor U. Smiley face exclamation points. My LSAT experience was awesome. Exclamation point. My proctor was quiet throughout my entire test and only spoke when she needed to provide instructions and to let me know when my break began and ended. She was actually very nice and I had an easy time understanding her. I did not have any technical difficulties and I feel pretty solid about my test. As a first time test taker without accommodations, I'm both relieved and happy that all went well as compared to some of the horror stories I have heard. I also want to thank you both for all the information we as potential law school applicants and students need to hear exclamation point. My gung-ho plan on law school has a, has slowed down drastically in reaction to drinking the demon Kool-Aid. Uh, then there's a demon emoji and another smiley emoji. I took a break from studying to finish up my undergrad this year and retook up my LSAT mantle in June. Because I have a fee waiver, I'm taking advantage of my two free LSAT exams With September being my first exam, I will schedule my second after my score is released. This way I can determine how much time I need to study before I try again. Oh, no. Ben, you want to tell BV why they're thinking about it all wrong? Uh, Actually, I I missed the last two sentences. I apologize. Obviously, something big was said there, but I got sidetracked by the Kool-Aid thing. I people keep saying that, and you know the Kool Aid has this sort of negative cultish uh, history to it. It was actually Flavor Aid as well, by the way. But oh, okay. Maybe we just drinking the demon facts. Like I prefer to think (laughs) of them as facts that we are disseminating out into the world, and people can choose to ignore them at their peril. But um, okay, so I got 
sidewalked by that. What what was the last sentence here? It says, with September being my first exam, I will schedule my second after my score is released. This way I can determine how much time I need to study before I try again. Huh? I mean, if you are ready for September, then you should be ready for October. Well, it's just a clear sign that this person knows they weren't ready for September. Yeah. I mean, it's and and also, by the way, I mean, boy, if you have been drinking the demon facts, um, <laughs> you would not you know, you just wouldn't be approaching it this way. You don't take your first one until you're happy with your practice tests. If you're happy with your practice tests, then the official test is just one more practice test. It's just one more data point. It's not anything special or different. We need to treat our official tests as if they're just another practice test. And that means that. If you're going to take September, you should also just take October and November and not be, well, let me wait and see how I did, then determine how much time I need to study before I take it again. What? Yeah, you should know that from your practice tests. I mean, (laughs) the other thing is, even if you do very well, I mean, if you really wanted to, you could withdraw from the October test. But the reality is, if you did really well... There's there's never this downside to taking the test again. So if you're signed up for it, just go take it. What if you do even better? The upside is huge. It's a lopsided bet. Yeah, even if you have to pay for one or more test administrations. But the problem is you just shouldn't take it the first time unless you're happy with your practice tests. Just all y'all need to stop doing that. That's a very common strategic error. Okay. anyway, if my scores are not up to par with getting in for free. I am foregoing law school to take the GRE in favor of a master's in education to become a high school math teacher. Ben, those are such different trajectories. High school math teacher and attorney at law. Yeah, to me, it just sounds like you probably don't actually want to be a lawyer. Like if the only reason you should only be on the law school path, if you have just this burning desire to practice law and you cannot be satisfied with any other career. Yes. Going for free is a necessary condition, not a sufficient one. It almost sounds like, oh, I'm going for free. Therefore, I'm going to go. It's like, no, 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 (laughs) I'm not going for free. Therefore, I won't go. Yeah. Yeah. What's the acronym again? Glad. Glad. Yeah. James just put it in the chat too. Glad. GPA first, then LSAT, then apply, then decide whether you're going to go or whether you're going to accept any offer. Yeah. And just because you have full rides doesn't mean you have to accept those full rides. There's lots of other things that you could do with your life. And deciding to be a high school math teacher or be a licensed barred attorney should not be based on your LSAT or your scholarship offers. Okay. Um, I have been a middle and high school math, computer science, and economics virtual tutor for the last two years for work, and I truly love what I do. Okay, full stop. Just do that. Yeah, totally. Do that. <laughs> teaching you is truly so love what I, you do. <laughs> well, I and Ben knows, like, as a teacher, right? I'm telling you. I totally agree. Teaching is the shit. If you love teaching, you should teach. It is the best career. It's awesome. (laughs) I hated law school. I would have hated being a lawyer. I love being a teacher. Please do that. Yep. 
With that in mind, I do have lawyers in my family, so it's something I'm familiar with in terms of the workload and social life sacrifice. So in the valiant manner of not wasting my time and money, I'm taking the demon route. And then we have a heart emoji, a peace emoji, the, the teeth smiley emoji, and the demon emoji, and an exclamation point. Cool. <laughs> We're excited, BV. <laughs> But the part that excites me is you, you said the magic words. You said, I truly love what I do. That is so rare. Like nobody And says you're actually that. doing it, right? Like being familiar in, with lawyer work because there are other people in your family who do it. That's a good start, but it's not the same as doing it. And so I just think your, your path has already been decided. We'll lose you as a demon student, but I think it's a better path. Yeah. When my score is released, I will definitely share an update exclamation point. Thanks again for everything you have all done for so many. And please keep filling up the Kool-Aid container exclamation point. Sincerely, BV. We could tell you are sincere, BV, by your 15 exclamation points and eight emojis. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, thank you very much for a very thoughtful <laughs> email. <laughs> please don't be a lawyer. Please continue teaching. You, you love it. You'll be happier that way. Yeah. Thanks for writing in. This next one's from Eddie. Hi, Nathan. I hope you're well. I wanted to pass along a podcast recommendation. It's from the podcast 5-4. I've yeah, never probably, heard of that podcast. Probably people say 5-4 to four or just 5-4. But yeah, Oh, there you go. go. I'm literally reading it. Yeah. What, is this a good podcast? I listened to this one episode that Eddie mentions, but five I'll let four. you read and then I'll comment. Where the premise of the show is that is this is a podcast about why the Supreme Court sucks. Oh, five to four. Got it. Okay. Well, that yeah. makes more sense now. Yep. I couldn't recommend it highly enough. Recommend it highly enough. One episode that came out on August 30th called Welcome to Law School Again breaks their usual format of dismantling the logic of a Supreme Court decision. Instead, they give a raw, detailed look of what law school is really like. They discuss out of touch racist law school professors. They do. Semicolon. Okay. Gunners and how they usually cool off by year two, semicolon, on-campus interviews, semicolon, the Socratic method, semicolon, how law school is essentially an extended hazing experience initiating you into a world obsessed with prestige, how they feed students to big corporate firms, the mismatch of what you learn in law school and what you actually do as a lawyer, the meaninglessness of your second and third year, and of course, the crippling debt. Do you like all those semicolons there, Ben, or could we just use commas there? Uh, I would actually, if I were sending this as an email, I'd use bullet points, but, um, bullet points. Right? Mm, okay. Yeah, if you really wanted to, if you want to send a list this long, it's not worthy of a sentence. It's this bullets would have worked because this is a long ass paragraph already, but yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Otherwise I would just use uh, commas. Okay. Um, I think this episode could dissuade many people from law school. It reminds me of what you and Ben often say, colon. You don't go to law school to learn about justice. <laughs> <laughs> they do say that explicitly in the podcast. Uh, and it was nice to hear somebody else who agrees with me that that's just not at all what law school is about. Next time you're on a drive or doing dishes, please check it out. I have a feeling it would resonate with you and you clearly agree on that. You listen to it. Well, a lot of our listeners probably already listened to it. Actually, it's a year old. It's one of these that they they run it out. It might be more than a year old, actually. They're just, it's an episode from at least a year ago and they were like reissuing it because it's the beginning of law school. 
for another, mm. uh, you know, cohort of suckers, um, going off to law school. And, uh, it, it, it is a pretty damning, yeah. Hour or so of here's how shitty law school actually is. I think the worst thing about law school probably is that it just doesn't teach you how to practice law like at all. Uh, you don't learn any of the practical aspects. You learn only these like highfalutin theoretical aspects that then have nothing to do with actual legal practice. And all three of the people were complaining about that. Um, I think it's yeah. worth a listen for an, anybody who is at all on this path. You know, maybe if Ben and I haven't already talked uh, BV above out of going to law school, maybe BV could listen to that episode and uh, then decide like, oh, also law school sucks. <laughs> like, I don't even know if I want to be a lawyer, but also law school really sucks. So like, do I really want to do this? Um, yeah. And it, yeah, if if that episode can't talk you out of it, then great. You know, maybe law school is perfect for you. I think law school is perfect for a certain small segment of like psychopaths. I think law school is perfect for you guys and you know who you are. Um, but for most other people who, um, you know, are like, yeah, I want to go learn how to be a better citizen or like be, you know, uh, just social justice and reforms and everything. It's like you're going to sadly realize that there's just not jobs doing those things. And if you want to make any money at all, you're going to have to basically work for what you probably think of as the bad guys. So it's tough. Yep. All right. This next one is from law to sorry. Law school tuition is a scam. All one word. That's a username uh, submitted through our website, thinkinglsat.com. The message says, hey, guys, I got a 173 on my last LSAT. My practice tests are low to mid 170s. I feel like I have more room to grow in reading comprehension. I'm leaving some questions on the table minus four to five on the section. Is it time to get greedy and take the LSAT again for a 174? Well, or five or six or seven. You, you've yeah, you said you've already got practice tests in the low to mid 170s, so 174 is probably not your limit. Yeah. And even if your highest practice test score was a 175, I would not be shocked at all if you walked away with a 177 or 178 or, or whatever. 80. Like, 80. Yeah. I mean, at that point, the, <laughs> the variance is pretty high. It's, so. it's yeah. I mean, at that point, especially now, Ben, that there's only 75 scored questions. Yeah. Mm hmm. At the top of the scale, it's pretty frequent that one more question is two more points like that oh, might happen multiple time. times between 170 and 180 on the same scoring scale. Yeah. So if you can get yourself anywhere into the 170s, you are a credible threat to score 180 on your yeah. next test. Yeah, I mean, it could be the matter of getting two more questions right. Yeah, that that actually reminds me, we have uh, lsatdemon.com forward slash converter. And you can put in your scores for different sections and it will tell you exactly what your LSAT score would be. And you can see how going up two points is going to take you up or one raw score point could take you up two points um, on the LSAT score. Anyways. Yep. Okay. Um, Harvard, Yale and Columbia's median is 174. So being one point shy is frustrating though I'm grateful for my 173. I mean, you know, the other thing you need to think about here, um, LST is a scam. Um, 
you don't know what it's going to be next year when you apply. So like scores seems like have been going up. It wouldn't shock me at all if their median is 175 or 176 next year. Anyway, um, if you do suggest to get greedy and retake, I I should wait until my practice test scores are consistently above what? Question mark. I'm not sure what the variance is at this end of the score spectrum. Couldn't I retake and score lower than 173? Yes, you could, but who gives a shit? In this case, would a score preview and cancel be beneficial? Or would it even matter? No, it would not matter. Law schools care about your highest score. Thanks again. P.S. New England Law Boston is sending out full ride offers without people even applying. And yeah, we've gotten multiple uh, emails from people who have sent us this information. Thank you very much. Help at thinkinglsat.com is super useful if you share that type of intelligence about the law school admissions game. So yeah, New England Law in Boston is sending out full rides. Uh, I got an email today saying if I applied and got admitted, I'd be awarded a full ride as long as I remain in good standing. Their median LSAT is 154. Their median GPA GPA is 3.27. Law school tuition is such a scam. And yeah, Jane in the chat says I got that too. And we've yeah, we've got multiple emails from people who got that offer. That's what happens. You know, this is why you should probably check the box. Yes. On um, what do they call it? Candidate referral service. They have lots of services at LSAC. Candidate referral service is where law schools will spam you, basically. But it's spam that is only possibly for your benefit. So. Hey, if you're in if if you're in Boston or if you would like to be in Boston, I can't imagine not applying to a school that just says straight up, hey, if we admit you, you're going to get a full ride. Okay. now, is it a great law school? No, but most law schools aren't great. And I'm sure that this law school is fine, right? It's an ABA accredited school, presumably, that will license you or it'll it'll give you the ability to sit for the state bar and practice law. It seems to have um, an ambitious dean or something, too. I mean, they're probably trying to get up in the rankings. <laughs> yeah. Hey, um, Lily says in the chat, definitely check out the or check. Yes. On the credential, a candidate referral service. I've gotten 10 merit based fee waivers in the last two weeks. That's about $1,000 saved. Hmm. Nice. Um, that's our Lily, I think, by the way, um, teacher Lily. Yeah. Hi, Lily. Um, cool. So, yeah. Do the credential or candidate referral service. And I don't know if this I mean, if this school is wildly beneath you, which for law school tuition is a scam who already has a 173 on record, there's no reason to send that application in. You're never going to go. So don't worry. You're never going to that school. You're going to get full rides to much better schools. I mean, just in Boston, you're going to get a full ride to. I mean, what's we don't know what your GPA is, but I'm assuming you're going to get a full ride to at least like Boston College, Boston University. And if not those, you'll get a full ride to Northwestern or Northeastern. Um, you got other options besides New England law in Boston. But if you're more like a 160 LSAT, you know, and that's the best you can possibly do, then New England law is probably a great fit for you. And uh, so, yeah, no reason not to send that application in. Want to read this well, next one? Yeah, it says, hello. This is from Anonymous. I'm interested in going to law school in Seattle only. 
My GPA from when I graduated in 2016 is a 3.88. I haven't taken the LSAT yet, but my total range has been 164 to 171 with an overall upward trend. Total range. Does that mean this person's diagnostic was a 164? If so, that'd be amazing. Looking at the University of Washington, the only full scholarships they offer require a career in public service after graduation. Other than that, it seems like scholarships are pretty minimal. Do you have opinions on UW or schools like it? Is it worth applying if in-state 75th percentile students are still paying $23,000 per year? The other school uh, in Seattle is Seattle University. They have many more merit scholarship opportunities and I would be well above their 75th percentile. Do you think being in class with students who didn't do as well previously in academia would hinder my own learning or networking for the future? Because going to school outside of Seattle feels improbable, I'm seemingly stuck with the choice between paying for school and going to a school that may not give me the best opportunities. Hoping for your advice. I think you can get a full ride to University of Washington. I mean, so I just looked up that 509. Wow. William H. Gates Hall, by the way, in uh, Seattle, Washington. Okay. Their 75th percentile LSAT is only 167. Their 75th percentile GPA is 3.79. You're above their 75th percentile already on both. Their scholarship page says that they give um, no full tuition scholarships, but 3% of the school is getting more than full tuition. And um, I mean, I guess that could be only GI Bill money. Their resident tuition, by the way, only $38,000 a year. I can't believe I'm saying only 38. Well, it's actually 39, $39,000 a year plus another thousand in fees. So it's $40,000. <laughs> That's the resident in-state tuition. Yeah. Um, okay. It's not as bad as it could be. Their 75th percentile grant amount is only $15,000. So it's not a school that gives lots of full rides, but they do probably give some full rides and you won't really know until you apply. And you're an overqualified applicant for this school. And if you apply to some competing schools, I mean, this is a situation where I would apply to some other schools that they might perceive as a credible threat, even if you're not actually going to go there. So I'm not saying go through some lengthy negotiation with those schools, but go ahead and apply to, oh, I don't know. Let's see. Um, man, there's not a lot of law schools in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, Arizona State. It's West Coast-ish. It's ranked 30th. Washington's only ranked 50th. Arizona State's going to give you a full ride. Yeah. So, you and know, the you University get, of Arizona. So, yeah. And, and I mean, it doesn't have to be Arizona. There's a million other schools that, that are going to give, are going to make you great offers. It is a pretty steep drop off, I guess, to go all the way down to Seattle. Seattle University ranked 117th in the country. Uh, yeah. 160 75th percentile, 3.59 75th percentile. And that's a school that gives, well, again, only 4% full tuition, but 39% half to full tuition. What's their 75th percentile grant? Yeah, 35 grand. So you'll have that 
competing offer and then get a couple other competing offers from schools that are, you know, slightly better ranked also, you know, as geographically close as you can get. And then when you're willing to walk away from Washington, I, who knows what they're going to say when you say, oh yeah, well, I'm sorry. I just can't pay that tuition. Um, thank you very much. You'll only really know when you actually apply, get admitted, and then negotiate, and then try to walk away and see what they say. Yeah. Anything more you want to say about that? No. That is a one goddamn beautiful campus, by the way, I have to say. I've been on the campus at University of Washington before, and it's stunning. Like, it's just unreal what that place Hmm. looks like. It would be quite a cool place to, well, be in the basement of the law library for three years. (laughs) This next one's from Benjamin. Benjamin says, I started using LSAT Demon about two months ago and regret not starting earlier. I'm a pretty determined person and I am absolutely hell bent on getting into Harvard Law School or at least giving myself a solid chance at doing so. Okay, oddly specific. There's lots of other law schools besides Harvard. However, I need to score a 176 plus to be considered. You don't know that. And my goal score is 178, which may seem crazy. It doesn't. But if I've learned anything from LSAT Demon, it's that the LSAT is not about how smart you are, but more about what you're willing to do to get there. I'm averaging minus two to minus four on logical reasoning and minus four to minus seven on reading comprehension and will cut those numbers in half over time. Confident, Benjamin. Yeah. I'm struggling mightily with logic games and really worried about not reaching my full potential. I've done 10 practice sections with 30 to 60% accuracy. That's really bad. And drilled 100 questions so far. Don't, Don't worry about your accuracy on the section on games. Worry about your accuracy on your questions that you've actually completed. And that should be 100, by the way. You should get 100% of them right on the games that you have time to do. I think Benjamin may be referring to the accuracy score. I don't know. Maybe. Okay. My plan is to do every possible logic game, says Benjamin. That's a good plan, but I mean, you don't need to start with a goal of doing all of them. (laughs) Being willing to do all of them is great, but how about, you know, do do a tenth of them and see where you're at Uh, and then do another tenth of them and see where you're at. 400 games is a lot. It's the only part of the test that freaks me out and I just cannot seem to get. I drill questions and then I watch the full explanations after missed questions. Is my approach to mastering logic games right? What do you think, Ben? I would just add one step here. I think it's good that you're drilling questions and then you're watching the full explanations after you miss them. But I would add one more step. As you're watching that video, as soon as you get a sense of what direction you should have probably gone in with that game, stop and try to redo that game right then and there. I think too many people watch, nod their head, and say, yeah, that makes sense. Well, of course it makes sense because someone is holding your hand all the way through that game. But you need to try to do that game again on your own. There was a study, Ben. I've talked about this on the podcast one previous time, but it was like years ago. Okay. I heard it about heard it on a podcast. Um, there was a study where they had people watch videos of, you know, the old school trick where you pull the tablecloth out from under uh, the nicely made up uh, table. Yep. There was a how to video on watching people yank that uh, 
yank the tablecloth out. And there was a group, I forget what the other groups were, but one of the trial conditions was you just watched videos of like, here's how you do it. And they rated how confident that and they, they rated they how confident they were in yeah. their ability to do it. And then they were tested on their ability to do it. Yep. And I can't remember exactly the punchline of the study, but it was something it, it, it certainly was that watching the video without actually trying to do it induces false confidence that that these people actually weren't getting better at doing it. They had yeah. they had to be the only the group that watched the videos and practiced it had like an accurate assessment of what their odds were of actually being able to do it. And that the people who had just sat back passively watching the videos ended up with this overinflated um, idea about their ability. Yeah. Sorry, that's kind of long winded. But the point is, if you're just sitting back watching those logic games videos and not like stopping it and doing it yourself, then you're, you're probably not making that critical connection of ultimately you have to actually do it. Yeah. I mean, I want people to watch a lot of the video, if not all of the video, to get ideas even for later questions in the game, right? The way you may have answered it may not have been the most effective way to answer it. That said, I also want you to stop it as early as you can before you jump in and try to do it again, right? Yeah. Like if you get some ideas, it's like, okay, cool. Stop right there because now you can really see how much you can carry the ball yourself. That's all. Yeah. And it's not just games. I mean, certainly um, Benjamin needs to do that for the games. Yeah. But for logical reasoning, you could read the first sentence, right? This is what you're saying about like an explanation or something. And you're like, ah, okay, wait, I think I misunderstood something. Stop. Does the answer now make sense? Can you explain it on your own and then verify that? by reading? Yeah. I mean, I was going to go a step further. It's like, even in my classes, most of my classes are oriented toward, Hey, you guys are going to do these questions and I'm expecting you guys to get them right. Yeah. Now, when you miss them, I'm there to help you and I'm going to hopefully explain it to you in a way that you can eventually get that click. But the step one is you need to try to find that click yourself. That's the, on the day of the test, I'm not there, right? It's you're there. So you have to practice doing the LSAT correctly. You have to practice playing the notes. Yeah. You have to find those notes yourself. And then, yeah, when you struggle, then we can help you. But that's, that's a secondary thing. The first thing is you grappling with the test yourself and eventually you have to come to terms with it. There's really no substitute for that. Great. Misty gives Lily's logic games foundations class, a shout out in the chat. That's nice of you, Misty. Um, and yeah, we have heard great reviews from that. So go to Lily's logic games class. Yeah. This next one is from Cassandra. I'll read it. Dear Ben and Nathan, I've been a loyal demon user ever since I discovered the LSAT Demon Daily podcast, whilst, whilst, whilst. I, I don't know. It's that? spelled wrong. W-H-I-L-S-T, though, is the word. Um, yeah, whilst. Okay. Yeah, whilst. Mm -hmm. Whilst. Whilsts at the gym. Or about you could have said ago. while. That would have worked. But <laughs> <laughs> if we want to be old timey, we could say whilst. Okay. It's whilst at the gym. Okay, for some reason, I feel like I need an accent for that. If anyone needs to feel extra type A, does anyone feel that, feel the need to be extra type A? I highly recommend going for a run while listening to LSAT podcasts and watching the news. Okay. 
I listened to the vocabulary episode from September 16th, and I thought I would share a powerful tip with you and potentially listeners. I've been studying Latin roots for vocabulary. Our English language is largely influenced and crafted by Romantic language and Latin roots. Two words are common. Wait, what? Oh, oh, how they're influenced is common, which has helped me to make more accurate inferences to the meanings of words I do not know. Yeah, that's certainly true. I mean, the, the dictionary is a web of words defining other words. <laughs> so the more words you know and the more Latin words you happen to know, the more patterns you're going to recognize and say, wait a sec, I see something in that word that kind of reminds me of another word, so I think I know what that word is trying to say. Um, yeah, that's not surprising. For example, Cassandra says, sin, uh, S-Y-N, is a root word for togetherness. We see it in synchrony, photosynthesis, etc. Path often signifies feelings, and we see it in words like pathos, pathos, empathy, etc. While those, while these root words are not a substitute for learning the correct and proper definitions of words, I can usually use them as keys for understanding a larger bank of vocabulary. Figured I would stop gatekeeping this tool I've been using since middle school. Thank you for everything. I'm hoping to give you an update when I've received my first scholarship after this cycle. Um, I'm pretty sure that the spelling bee folks, anyone who does any sort of that kind of stuff, uses these root words all the time, too. There are words they don't know, but they figure them out. Mm, yeah, that's a good point. Okay. Thanks, Cassandra. I went back and forth a little bit with Cassandra by email and because uh, I was asking like, well, do you have any resources for, you know, those Latin like, roots? How and, can you use it? Yeah. Yeah. And she basically fired back like, well, I just Googled this in two seconds and I found this thing. And it turns out there's like all kinds, obviously, of Latin roots resources around on the Web. Um, the one that I that she found first was too long for it to be really, I think, that useful for people to study. It was like 10 pages worth of these um, Latin roots, but it is, you know, you could start with just one, right? You could just kind of dabble in this if you're interested in um, improving your vocabulary. I thought it was pretty hmm. cool. Yeah. And if you search Latin roots, roots list, Google is already going to give you some examples. All right, I'll read this next one from Max. Hey, Ben and Nathan, I just started the LSAT Demon a week ago, and I cannot emphasize how much my studying has turned around. I paid about $3,000 for a private tutor, RIP, to my bank account, I know, and improved from a 145 diagnostic, diagnostic to <clears throat> roughly scoring 158 to 161. I switched to the Demon because my tutor just honestly wasn't helpful anymore, and I've been scoring roughly 159 for the past two months. I feel super discouraged, especially because I study for at least three hours, six days a week, and I know I have the potential to perform at a higher level. I plan on taking the November LSAT. I'm already signed up for September. So again, you all have to just stop signing up for the goddamn LSAT. Just stop it. Don't do it. Wait until you're happy with your practice tests, then decide when you're going to take the test. I really want to get somewhere in the mid to high 160s. I, I understand that you want to get that high, but I just don't know how long it's going to take. So stop scheduling tests before you know how long your prep is going to take. Yep. In your opinion, is this possible given I put the work in with the demon? It is absolutely possible. But on what kind of a timeline? I don't know. By the way, your goal is not like. If you're at 159 right now and all you're trying to get is into the mid 160s, 
I feel like we can get you there in a month. I'd be kind of surprised if we don't. Yeah, set a higher goal because you're going to be applying next cycle anyways. Right. Don't have that goal at all. Just you want the best LSAT you can possibly get. You don't know how high you might be able to eventually score. 145 diagnostic is pretty damn good, by the way. Like people do make it from the 140s into the 170s. So why sell yep. yourself short with this intermediate, you know, this mid 160s goal? I don't I, mean, I understand you've had a frustrating time of it so far, but that's because you had some shitty tutor. Right now, I try to go to as many classes a week, five to six classes and alternate days with drilling for about two hours and time section days doing about two sections. Am I on the right track? What do you think of that? Okay, Max, Ben is you're vigorously too... <laughs> shaking his head no. <laughs> too, too regimented. I, I, I get this. It's, yeah. it's things, we see this all the time though. People get, they want things that they can check off. It's like, okay, well, I did my two hours. I did my class. I did this. All you need to do is one question and then understand it. And I am afraid that this regimented study schedule is becoming your metric for success. Even I even had this sense when Max said, I study for at least three hours, six days a week. That sounds very regimented. Like it's like, oh, I got to get my three hours in today. No, you don't. What you need to get are clicks. And if you get 10 clicks in 30 minutes, I don't care whether it takes you 30 minutes or three hours. If you get 10 clicks, like that's a big win that day. We're looking for one click, two clicks a day would be great too. Hopefully yep. more, but. Max continues. Also, I'm struggling with consolidating the list of schools that I'm applying to. Don't worry about it. Don't <laughs> think about schools right now. And would love to know both of your opinions about some of the schools on my list. I graduated from my undergraduate institution in three years with an honors degree, summa cum laude with a 3.97 UGPA. I have, in my opinion, a fairly strong repertoire of, LSA, of LORs, a resume, and I'm working hard on my personal statement. Jesus, what are you doing? I don't care about any of this. <laughs> no, but I truly think that after November, I will be a splitter with my LSAT. Listen to that, Ben. That's just tragic. That is, that's yeah. tragic. Yeah, Max has away given a good up. GPA. Yeah, yep. Max is like, well, I have a 3.97, but I'm never going to have an LSAT that's going to match that. Why? What? Are you kidding me? We see people improve by 20 points or 25 points or 30 points. And from a 145 diagnostic, you can get to 170. And then you're not a splitter. Now you're a badass on both. Or get to 175 and you'll be a true badass on both. That's a 30 point improvement, but we had multiple 30 point improvements this year. Why not you, Max? I hate that you're wasting time on your personal statement. I hate that you're waiting, wasting time looking at schools. You're wasting time, um, you know, thinking about letters of recommendation, resume, everything. Dude, you need to work on your damn LSAT. And I, and I know you have been working on your LSAT, but that's all you need to work on for the foreseeable future. And I'm not saying work 40 hours a week on it. I'm just saying you have to let go of this application cycle if you're serious about this. Yeah, you have the GPA to, to go to the best schools in the world. So yeah, right. If you follow our advice, you'll go to Harvard or Stanford or Yale or Chicago or Columbia or NYU or some like just you can't even imagine how awesome this place. Berkeley. There's so many places that you could go to that are just amazing. 
and you're about to sell yourself short with a mediocre LSAT and I'm a splitter and I'm also applying later in the cycle, you know, take the November LSAT and then apply. This is just like not, you know, it's I hate people hate me when I say this, but to me, that's just not a lawyer. Like you're not you have to start behaving now like a lawyer. You have to advocate for yourself. And the way you advocate for yourself here is by building the best case you can for law school, which involves a 170 something. <laughs> Sorry for the lecture, but no, Mac Max's goals actually are very simple. Max has one goal, get the highest LSAT score you can get and do that by focusing on clicks or making realizations each day as you study, not how many hours you've studied, yeah. not how many classes you went to, not how many sections you did just get in do a question and then review it. If that question is in a time section, yeah. fine. If it's in a test, fine. If it's in drilling, fine. I don't care where it is. Just do a question and then learn how to do it better and understand it and get your mind all wrapped around it. And that's the only thing you have to do. That's it. All of this stuff should be completely forgotten because it's all going to change as soon as you get your official score. Max, this test makes perfect sense and you need to allow it to make perfect sense. But the way you do that is by getting those clicks like Ben's talking about just one question at a time and review that one question until it makes 100 percent perfect sense. And that's how you need to how you need to approach every LSAT question. And, and it's probably going to take a little longer. It's just if you do this, this cycle, best of luck to you. But you're 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 going to be slamming doors on your own face by by rushing into this application cycle. Is it, he continues with, you know, is it a complete waste of my time to apply to schools like Boston University, Vanderbilt, George Washington, Emory, etc.? I might even send an application to Columbia for shits and gigs, but should I not be approaching the admissions process like this? So Max is like he thinks we're going to say don't Oh, don't even try <laughs> for those schools. And we're going to say the exact opposite of that, which is BU, Vanderbilt, George Washington, Emory. I think those schools are beneath you. Yep. Get your LSAT game sorted out. You can do it. Uh, okay. Thank you guys so much for cultivating an environment where one can learn to have fun with a standardized test. My mental health alone has improved significantly since starting the demon. Sounds corny, I know. You guys are changing people's lives! Exclamation point. And that's from Max. Ben, any final words for Max? No. Just keep narrowing down what you focus on. You're focusing on too many things right now. Just the LSAT. Yep. Absolutely. All right. Last one. Short one from Anonymous. I'm not on my. I'm sorry. I'm on my way to graduating in the winter of 2023 with a 4.0. Is it possible that the statistical advantage non-KJDs have is not due to work experience, but because once you've graduated law schools, once you've graduated, law schools know your final UGPA. Should I apply in September or wait until my GPA is finalized and apply in January once I have my degree? Thanks. I guess I didn't know that non-KJDs have a statistical advantage. I don't know. We need a citation for that. It's probably coming from like law school data, which is self-reported data. Sure. Maybe we trust it. Maybe we don't. If there there's is so many, <laughs> I well, don't know. There's so many other factors that could there's no way explain a bump, right? Like, 
oh, you got your full GPA maybe, or how about you're just older and have more experience and have a more mature application, or you had more time <laughs> to get a higher LSAT score, or I don't know, a hundred other things. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it's just the maturity of the applicant. Like the older you are, the better resume you're going to have, the better letters of recommendation you're going to have, the better personal statement you're going to have. You just, you're, um, you're, you are a literally more mature, more mature person. And yep. you are a more distinct person because you've had more time to do interesting things in the world, right? Every K through JD looks identical. Yep. But like people who have some work experience have diverse, interesting experiences. And of course, that's valuable to the law school community. And law schools know that, oh, well, hey, documented 10 year career. Yeah, this person can get it done in law because they can get it done in consulting or accounting or finance or whatever it is like if you get it done in the world then they look at you and they go yeah you can get it done in law school so absolutely no way can i see the benefit coming just because they know your final semester of grades i mean i don't think you think they're sitting there worried ben like well you got a 4.0 but you might get all f's in your final semester i mean by the way if you do get all f's in your final semester and your gpa plummets they can always rescind their offer of admission. Those offers of admission are definitely contingent on what your final grades are. They can make you offers while you're still an undergrad, and then they can easily look at your last semester right before school starts and go, yeah, never mind. Well, the bigger issue here, too, is that even if there is a supposed bump due to the GPA, which we don't think there is, but even if there were, you're going to get slammed by the fact that you're applying in January. So any benefit is now completely washed yeah. away. Applying in January is dumb. You need to apply when the applications open, not closer to where they close. And they open in August or September, uh, not in January. Yeah. Cool. Thank you, Anonymous. Thanks for writing in. Be LSAT famous. Get on an upcoming show by emailing help at thinkinglsat.com. If you have questions about LSAT Demon, email help at lsatdemon.com. You can also check out our other podcast, LSAT Demon Daily. That was episode 369 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for law school.